Thanks for joining us for worship this morning. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. If you haven't been with us over the past couple of months, we've been studying the book of Exodus, specifically over the last couple of weeks, God giving the Ten Commandments to Israel. And we just finished those up last week. The natural question is, where do you go from there? After studying perhaps one of the most widely known passages in the Bible, what could you possibly do next? In fact, the verses that follow the giving of the Ten Commandments are often skipped over. In the resources, the commentaries we've used over the past couple of years looking at Exodus, many of them even skip these passages, but not us. This morning, as we hear Angela Wheelis read these verses for us, I want you to ask this question, what am I afraid of? Let's listen to the reading of God's Word. Today's reading comes to us from Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 21. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. God, this morning we ask that you would send your spirit into our hearts to bring us peace, to comfort us. God, I pray that through your spirit at work within us, that these words from Exodus would convict us. They would show us our faults and our failures, but they would also Preach the sweet news of the gospel to us this morning. Help us to hear and to believe in your love for us. I pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. The first safari that I got to go on in Africa, I spent the five-hour drive from Nairobi, Kenya, down to Masai Mara Game Park talking to our safari guide. And I told him, There's only one animal that I truly want to see. If I could just see one lion in the wild, I'll be happy. And he said, oh, I guarantee you we're going to see a lion. And I thought, how is that possible? This isn't a zoo. This is the wilderness. How can you guarantee that we'll see a lion? Well, sure enough, when we got to the park, the very first game drive that we went out on, we crested this hill, and there in the road, about 100 yards in front of us, was this male lion not in the grass on either side of the road, but dead in the middle of the road. The safari guide skidded the vehicle to a stop. The lion looked at us. We looked back at the lion, and it slowly began to slink towards us. You know how cats do. When it was about 50 yards out, the safari guide turned off the van in order to prevent the cat from being spooked, and I had this crazy thought. I thought, if it walks past my side of the car, I'm going to touch its back. Like, I'm going to reach my hand out the window and pet a live, wild lion in the wild. How awesome would that be? Clearly, Tiger King had not come out yet. I hadn't seen it, so I was still thinking these crazy things. At about 20 yards out, I could tell that the paw on this lion, even though it was still a juvenile, was the size of my face. And at 10 yards out, I could feel it breathing. (sighs) that was enough for me. I leaned away from the window, rolled it up really quickly, and decided, this is close enough. I don't need to touch this thing. I am fine being this close to this terrifying creature. 
Israel responds to Sinai in much the same way. They hear the thunder. They see the lightning and the smoke at the top of the mountain. They hear God's ten commandments, his ten words, and they say, you know what? This is good enough. We don't need to get any closer. We don't need to to see anything more. In fact, Moses, we don't really want to talk to God anymore. Why don't you, why don't you go talk to God? You know, go chit-chat, come tell us what he says. Uh, We'll talk to you because you seem safe. Now, believe it or not, that's actually not a bad response. It's quite understandable for them to respond in such a way because of the show of power that God has displayed on top of Mount Sinai. What is unexpected is how Moses responds to them. But I think that it's Moses' response, as confusing as it might be, that we really need to look at this morning. We need to see the gospel of Jesus in it. Verse 20, Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Don't fear. This is all so that you may fear the Lord. Great. Thanks, Moses. You really cleared that up for us. We got it. We totally understand this now. It is a bit confusing, but what Moses is communicating here is something incredibly powerful about how God's people should respond to him. He says, don't let fear turn you away. Let fear strengthen you to follow God. Those are our two points this morning, just two. Don't let fear turn you away. Let fear strengthen you to follow God. Let's start by looking at this idea, don't let fear turn you away. What was Israel afraid of? Verse 18, they saw the thunder and lightning. Verse 19, they were afraid that they would die. Couple that with the fact that they've received God's 10 commandments, essentially that God demanded a heart, mind, and life devoted completely to God. And they package all of those things together. When was the last time that they saw fire and lightning and thunder all together? Exodus 9, verse 23, about four months prior to this experience back in Egypt, when God sent the seventh plague of hail and thunder and fire raining down on who? The people of Egypt who were disobeying God. Israel, standing in front of Mount Sinai, is afraid that if they get too close, they'll be on the wrong side of the power that they see on display before them particularly in light of the fact that God has given them His law that lays claim to almost every aspect of their lives. They're afraid if they fail, better yet, when they fail to keep God's commands, He will punish them, that this power will come down upon them. Who could withstand such power? Not Egypt. So Israel takes a step back. They begin to turn away. We don't, we don't want to be here. They're afraid, and they try to hide. Side note, that's exactly how most people in Scripture respond when they interact with the one true living God. They are terrified. They try to hide. They are afraid. Who can withstand that kind of power? A couple of weeks ago, there was an amazing flyover from a squadron of F-15s, and I had read about this on Facebook that it was going to happen, and I was really excited because I went to a lot of air shows growing up, and I was excited to have my girls watch these awesome planes fly overhead. Now, we thought it was going to be to the east of us, kind of over Santana Row, if you're from the Bay Area. And so I got the girls out on the porch, had them stand up in our deck chairs to look out on the horizon so they could see the planes fly over, but it was kind of cloudy. And the time scheduled for the flyover came and passed, and we didn't see anything, and I assumed that we had gotten excited for nothing. 
And so told the girls, I don't think we're going to be able to see the planes today. Got Michaela down. She walked in the house. And just as I was about to put Margaret down off my shoulders, I heard it. I heard the roar of big engines. And so I called to Michaela. She ran outside just in time to look up. And the planes, four of them, flew right over our house, so close it felt like I could touch them. Well, the excitement that had been building in our girls turned immediately to fear. They covered their ears. They lowered their heads. Who could withstand such power right above them? You know what? You and I don't fear God's power anymore, do we? We've moved beyond that. We're too self-confident to think that God would ever actually punish us. And we're too nearsighted to believe in some future date of punishment out there. We're just not afraid of God's power. We're afraid of the opposite. We're afraid that God isn't powerful enough. That God doesn't actually have a hand in the way that our lives are going. That He is not going to bless us the way we want Him to bless us. That if we get in trouble, He won't rescue us the way that we want Him to rescue us. We're afraid that God actually has no power at all but it leads us to the same response. We take a step back. We begin to turn away. We say, you know what? You just, you can stay there, and I'm going to take over, right? How do you know if you're afraid that God's not powerful enough? Well, you substitute your own power. When God's power seems to have vacated your life, we ask a question that begins to sound familiar. Who can withstand a powerless life? And we answer, nobody we got to find power from somewhere. Someone's power must fill the void, and so often I think it's mine, my own, my power, my authority, my voice, my ability to command attention and earn respect. You and I, we're not awestruck by God's power very often, but we do fight to establish and make our own power known. It's your drive for power that leads you into the same old argument with your spouse where you don't give any room on what you believe. It's a demand and a drive for power that has led to a system that elevates and benefits one race over all the others. And before you tune me out or turn the TV off, it's the exact same drive for power that causes us to look down on another person, maybe not because of their race, but maybe because of their education or lack thereof because of their economic status, because of their beliefs, because of their differences, because of their reactions. It's the drive for our own power that leads us to tear someone down verbally to their face, behind their back, or on Facebook. It's in our hearts. These displays of power are a terrible outworking of a desperate heart asking the question, who can withstand a powerless life. Once you begin to fear that God is powerless, once that fear invades your heart, you begin to turn away, to hold God at a distance. Moses says, don't be afraid. This is a test so that the fear of God may go with you. Don't let fear turn you away. Instead, let fear strengthen you to follow God. It's our second point. Let fear strengthen you to follow God. It's a test. This is the key word of Moses' statement, and it's one that we misunderstand, right? I don't know about you, but when I think of a test, I think of sitting down at a desk with a Scantron sheet, having to answer questions by bubbling in letters, right? Trying to get it just right. 
Well, it's not that kind of test. This word test is the same word that's used by God when the Israelites get to Marah in the wilderness. They come upon a water source that is incredibly bitter. God calls it a test. The same word is used when God gives them manna in the desert miraculously, and he says, gather only enough for today. It's a test. Test not as in get this correct, but test as in proof of concept or like testing something out. If you have to get something off the top shelf and you don't have a ladder, you're going to use a chair that happens to be nearby. But if you've never stood on the chair before, you're not just going to jump on it. You're going to take a step, gradually put your weight on it to test it, to see if it will hold your weight. At Mara, God says, watch this, throw the log into the water and I will turn bitter water sweet. Now you know that you can trust me to be good. At uh, when God gives manna, he says, take just enough for today and I will give you more tomorrow. Now you know you can trust me to be faithful and to provide. Here at Sinai, God says, come to my mountain, see my power, hear my voice. Now you can trust me that I am powerful for you. And you can go and do whatever I ask you to do, knowing that my power is strengthening you. The day before Shelter in Place uh, went into effect, Nicole brought home like 25 children's books from the library, knowing that we probably weren't going to get to go to the library very often. Uh, One of those books is called Hey Dog, and the reason that I'm referencing this is because I'm pretty sure in three months we've read it about 700 times. Uh, The story is about a little boy comes home from school and finds a dog cowering in the bushes outside of his house. The dog is severely emaciated. He's got uh, scars on his back. And the boy is very concerned. He brings out a frisbee of water to the dog, and he says, I won't hurt you, dog. You can trust me. But of course, the dog doesn't trust another human right now. Day after day, the boy tries to coax the dog out of the bushes. He sneaks out one night and brings the dog a plate of meatballs left over from his dinner and a blanket to help keep the dog warm. Every day when he comes home from school, he stops and just sits in the yard and has a conversation with the dog. He uses some of his own savings to buy the dog dog food and give it to the dog. He sits out in the rain with an umbrella to keep the dog dry. And it's not until the very last page of the book that the dog finally creeps out of the bushes and licks the little boy's hand. The blanket, the meatballs, the water, the conversations, they were all a test to prove to the dog, you can trust me, I won't hurt you. Moses tells Israel, let this display of power go with you, not so that you're afraid of God always, not so that you're shaking in your boots, making sure you don't sin, always looking over your shoulder because God might bring the hammer down at some point, but let this fear this reverence, this respect strengthen you as you trust God to walk into any situation he calls you to. That's the fear that Moses invites Israel to carry with them. What about us? What sign, what demonstration of power do we have to inspire that kind of fear in us, that reverence for God's power to strengthen us as we go out? to follow God into some hard things, to some scary things. The resurrection of Jesus. If we just look at Jesus' life, his persecution and his death, you couldn't help but be afraid that God is actually powerless. 
He couldn't keep himself alive for more than 30-some-odd years. He couldn't keep 12 of his best friends to stick by his side. He's seemingly powerless. But then, God's power was put on display in the midst of the ultimate level of powerlessness, dead and in the grave, by Jesus rising again. And why did he do that? To set you free, to rescue you from sin and the death that your sin deserves. He lived a perfectly sinless life, obeying every aspect of the law and dying an unjust and horrible death and rising from the dead to set you free. God's ultimate power was put on display, not through lightning and thunder, but through weakness and powerlessness, that God could become man, live die and rise again should inspire fear in us. Fear that God can do anything, that God has done everything. Fear that is a reverence for God's power that convinces us God can do anything and work in anything. The Apostle Paul talks about this in his own life in his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians. Paul asked God to remove something from his life, some weakness. Three times he asked. He asked God to make him powerful again, but God responds in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We shouldn't fear that God is powerless. We should see in Jesus's resurrection power beyond our wildest imagination and God living, dying, and rising again. If God can work that powerfully in utter hopelessness, in utter weakness, in utter powerlessness, what can He do in your life as He invites you to give up just a little bit of your power? Because that's what the commandments are. The commandments are a call to live a life wholly committed to God, a life of sacrifice, watching God's power be made perfect in your weakness. But this question remains, is a life of sacrifice enough for you? Is a life that feels powerless safe? Who can withstand a life that invites you to give up your power for someone else? Well, look at Jesus. He's the proof of concept. He's the test. How did it turn out for him? He gave up his power for me and for you. And God restored him, brought him to be seated at the right hand, the seat of ultimate power, so that you could know for sure that God will sustain you through life, through the blood of Jesus, bring you home upon your death into his glory, into his power too. So where do I go from here? You might be thinking, this is helpful information, but how do I begin to silence the fear in my heart that God has no power in my life? How do I begin to step out in faith and trust that God's power will be made perfect in my weakness? How, where do I go from here? Three things. Step one, go to the mediator. In this passage, Israel wants Moses to speak to God because they're afraid of God. And God gives Moses to Israel as a mediator to remind Israel of that fear, to strengthen them as they go forward. But you and I, we have a better mediator. Our mediator doesn't just speak to us on God's behalf and speak to God on our behalf. 
But Jesus, the true and perfect mediator, through his death and resurrection, actually brings us back to God. He gives us direct access to God. So talk to him. Pray your fears, your frustrations, your sadness, your celebrations. Talk to God and ask that he would remind you of his words, that they would have power in your heart. Step two, how do you silence the fear that God is powerless and trust that God is working in your weakness? Well, first of all, stop thinking and acting like you have it all together, like you know everything, because you don't. It's really easy for me to go from a person who has little to no understanding of a situation to suddenly being an expert. We have to stop. We have to start listening. Listen to learn, not to respond, right? Listening to respond looks like figuring out a way to take that person's words and display your power through them. Listening to learn looks like giving up your power and trusting that in that state of weakness, God's power is made perfect, right? It's the fear of God's power, your reverence for it, your respect for God's power that enables you to be weak. Step three, the last one. Hopefully, this is incredibly applicable for you right now. So many people are hurting today, either from coronavirus, someone being sick, losing someone, the division over how and when we should reopen. People are hurting because of hundreds of years of racism and abuse and oppression, and people are hurting because there is indifference towards that reality. People are hurting because of the sad, vitriolic political landscape. There's lots of hurt in our communities, in our neighborhoods, and in our families. And in times of pain and sorrow, Satan uses isolation and loneliness to make sin feel comfortable, like it's medicine. So step three is fight isolation and loneliness. Call, send a text, Zoom if you must. Send groceries, send a meal, drive by and wave to someone. Talk to people that you wouldn't normally talk to. Check in on people you haven't checked in on in a while. Chances are something is happening in their world that has wounded them. Sit, ask questions, and listen. Help them not feel alone and isolated. Now, I'm going to be honest, sitting and listening to someone might seem like a powerless thing to do, and it's probably going to make you feel even more powerless as you hear their wounds and realize you can do nothing to solve it. But don't let the fear of powerlessness turn you away. It's in your weakness and powerlessness that God's power is made perfect. Don't let fear of God's inability to act turn you away. Instead, see what he has done in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Fear God's ability, respect, revere it, and step out in faith into a life of sacrifice where you willingly give up your power to others, knowing that God's power is perfected in that. Let's pray. God, we thank you humbly that your Son willingly gave up glory, took on flesh, humbled himself by becoming a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on the cross. God, we thank you that when he foretold he would die and rise again, that it happened. And that we can see in that power which brings to us new life. I pray that that new life would fill us this morning. Help us to trust that you are at work even though we don't see it, even though it seems like the contrary is true. Help us to believe you are making all things new. Use us, I ask. Use us to be agents for grace. Grace towards others, grace towards our families. Help us to give grace to ourselves. Help us to love others sacrificially as you have loved us. I pray this in the name of our one true sacrifice. This is our time our of our offering, King, which is where we uh, can respond Amen. to God's word.